Sports Illustrated. You used to go to the magazine for the best in sports journalism. Making the cover of SI could turn an already big name in sports into a global superstar. It was the magazine that loved sports for the sake of sports, while also bringing a literary creativity that turned sports articles into great sports stories. Okay, so that was a long time ago. And in more recent times, SI... Um, well, let me just put it this way. For those of you old enough to remember, you remember there was that ABC Wild World of Sports intro from the late, late 1970s? The one where that ski jumper in the intro who represented not the thrill of victory, but the agony of defeat. That guy who crashed so badly while coming off the ramp that honestly, <laughs> he just could not look away. Yeah, that's the Sports Illustrated of recent years. So you'd think things couldn't get much worse for the magazine. And then along comes SI writer Drew Ortiz. He, quote, grew up in a farmhouse surrounded by woods, fields, and a creek. His profile read, that's what it described him as. He, quote, spent much of his time and his life outdoors and is excited to guide you through his never-ending list of the best products to keep you from falling to the perils of nature, end quote. Ortiz's profile had his image and his email, ortiz.drewsireview at gmail.com. I mean, what could possibly go wrong? This is On Point. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty. Well, something did go wrong, and that is Drew Ortiz wasn't a real writer. He wasn't even real. Maggie Harrison, who or what? is Drew Ortiz? It's a great question. It's great to be here. Thank you for having me. Um, Drew Ortiz, like like you said, he is a fake writer, or was a fake writer. He's since been deleted um, with a fake bio and an AI-generated face that we're able to find at a a website that sells AI-generated headshots. His purpose has been disputed. Um, Our sources at the content provider allege that you know, his fake profile was used to conceal AI-generated content. Sports Illustrated and the Arena Group alleged that he was a very robust <laughs> uh, pen name for an individual writer, which um, is a very interesting claim and a very interesting take on, you know, the use of a pen name. Okay, so first of all, let me introduce you properly. This is Maggie <laughs> Harrison. She's writer for Futurism. It's an online publication that covers the future of science and tech. And she broke this story recently. It was headlined, Sports Illustrated Published Articles by Fake AI-Generated Writers. So to be clear, no matter what certain representatives of SI and its owners say, you feel confident from your reporting that Drew Ortiz is not a he, but an it. Yes, exactly. Drew Ortiz is not a real person. We cannot find a trace of him anywhere else. And in general, I I have yet to meet a human with an AI-generated face that they've purchased (laughs) from an online marketplace. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. This is actually a very serious issue in journalism, and I don't mean to laugh, but the kind of there is a little edge of ridiculousness uh, around it. I've all week long, I've had to train myself not to say he, and just to say I know it's. It's very strange. And like, like you said, it's very serious, but while at the same time has just this very unique absurdity on so many different levels. Okay, so what put, first put you on to the fact that some of the articles, and he was doing a lot, it was doing a lot of product, product <laughs> reviews, right? So what first put you on to that uh, some of these things might have been generated by AI and not a real person? 
That's a it's a very good question, and we so we are we do have a lot of ongoing reporting that we're doing. Um, so there are some things I can't quite speak to, okay. but we there were similar reports that came out, um, some similar allegations at a separate commerce site. You know, the USA Today affiliated affiliated website um, reviewed, which is owned by the newspaper giant Gannett. Mm-hmm. Um, they had made allegations of not just AI-generated content being published on their website, but of AI-generated people as well, which, you know, we, we've been covering at Futurism, we've been covering a lot of AI journalism. You know, since CNET broke in uh, January, we've been following it. You know, AI is a central beat for us, and AI journalism, of course, as somebody in the media industry and just as a, you know, consumer of media yeah. <laughs> is fascinating and very important. Uh, so we've been following it very closely. But the allegation of, you know, we've seen a lot of AI efforts at this point, but the allegation of fake people to publish it under, that was a very new and striking claim. So we just, you know, pulled a few threads and we were able to... So I guess a very useful way to frame it is that we were looking for it. Okay. We were looking for this kind of content somewhere else and we happened upon it at Sports Illustrated. Got and, it. you know, so if you, I hadn't been look, Oh, sorry. No, no, I was going to say, so given... Uh, that you were tipped off. That's what generated the surge, as you said. Um, yes. But I think you're about to say, if you hadn't been looking for it, would you have known that it was there? No. I mean, if I really looked closely, I would have thought, that guy's face is very strange. <laughs> <laughs> but in general, I probably would say, that's some really weird editing that they did. Or, you know, I wouldn't chalk it up to this guy is probably fake, which I think is a very, to me, marks a very strange and important turn in just, you know, life, again, as a consumer of media and the questions that we ask ourselves and, you know, the quest to have media literacy. Um, but, yeah, so I, if I was an everyday consumer, especially, you know, it's it's volleyball blogs, it's blogs about fishing bait, it's not anything, it's not hard-hitting news that might be being published under a fake person, or I'm not necessarily thinking, is this misinformation? But it is, you know... Because of the nature of the content and just because of the fact that this isn't something I'm looking for yet as some somebody who's just a regular you know consumer yeah. of news online, I probably wouldn't have noticed. You know, it's interesting because the product review angle fascinates me because it may not uh, be, you know, one of the in-depth sports articles, but it's designed to sell something to people. So we'll get back to the business aspect of this in a second. But can you give me some examples? I mean, you mentioned volleyball and, and as you kind of went through... Drew's um, articles. The volleyball one stands out because you, you quote you quoted some uh, some language from its article on that. Yes, it's very stilted and very strange. Like some of the copy is you know passable enough, but I, I think uh, the way I've found very useful to explain is that it's, if an alien came to Earth and had access to every single textbook that existed about volleyball, had every every text available, had all of the information it needed, but also had no concept of what it was to be in a physical body and actually didn't know anything about volleyball, that's kind of how the text itself reads. Like, I wouldn't read it and think, this person knows volleyball. I would think <laughs> this is a really strange way to discuss you know, buying a volleyball or a fishing bait or whatever, it, you know, yeah. what have you. Well, so you quote um, an Ortiz article where the article warns that volleyball, quote, can be a little tricky to get into. (laughs) Sorry, I shouldn't laugh. This is serious, especially without an actual (laughs) ball to practice with. And again, you know, it's it, it, but it is funny that that's the yeah, like there there are those two sides. There's a seriousness side, and there's that absurd, just yeah. bizarre side to it. But yeah, and again, it's not incorrect. Like I, I 
I would, if somebody said yes or no, is this correct or incorrect, I would say, well, it's probably right that it would be tricky to play the game should you not have the equipment to play. But it doesn't really offer value to the reader. I'm sure if I clicked on an article that was about the best volleyballs to buy, I wouldn't need that explained to me. Yeah. Well, so it's so, a lot of like fluffy filler. Okay. Now, um, aside from just looking through the articles and being like, this is weird, it doesn't sound like it was written by a human, you actually talk, do you talk to some people uh, involved with the generation of this particular content? Yes. So I spoke with um, several people who were close to the creation of the content at the third-party provider of the content, which we don't name them in the article, but they were named by Sports Illustrated in their, you know, after the fact. Once we published the article, Sports Illustrated came out with a statement. They named the third-party provider. It's called Advon Commerce. And um, we have spoken to insiders at Advon Commerce who were close to the creation of Sports Illustrated and the Arena Group content specifically. And they said, it's... AI generated. We have an AI operation, um, and Juratiz is one of several profiles that are fake. At Sports Illustrated. At Sports Illustrated specifically. Okay. Well, so um, Sports Illustrated and you know its owner, the Arena Group, have pulled all of the Ortiz articles off of SI. Have they pulled anyone, anything else's articles off? So, yes, Juratiz has since been deleted. They actually deleted a full section of the website where a lot of this specific content was housed. It, uh-huh. it was it was seemingly operated and published mostly. We haven't, you know, traced it or published, you know, we, we haven't traced it to other areas of the website. Um, but it was published to this site called Reviews. And over at The Street, which is a sister website, of, of also owned by the Arena Group, a sister website of Sports Illustrated, um, there is a, a similar section. It's titled Reviews. There's all kinds of, you know, these articles published under various fake names. But, you know, we had noticed, it, it was very strange. So they would have, so Juratiz published articles for a while. And then Juratiz was then replaced by a new fake person named Sora Tanaka. And this happened in some other instances too, where these fake pri- profiles were intermittently scrubbed off of the website and just replaced with a new fake person. And then a few weeks ago, they were seemingly replaced by all real people, real contractors who work this third-party company, which, mm. and no editorial update. Like, throughout all of this, there was not one notice from, you know, the editors at either the third-party or at Sports Illustrated say, hey, we made a major editorial change <laughs> to all of these articles, and actually it wasn't written by the person that we said it was written by. Yeah. And then after we had emailed the Arena Group, they were deleted. Okay, so that's important to note, right, that the editorial staff at Sports Illustrated and the Writers' Union were not involved with this at all. In fact, they, the Writers' Union has put out a pretty lengthy uh, response, uh, a statement on uh, the AI Jurority scandal uh, at SI saying they too are demanding answers and transparency. So take a quick second here, Maggie, and describe to us, someone was making these decisions. Did, were you able to find out who and why? What was their intent? So I, you know, I don't want to speculate on the decisions being made in the C, and you know, the Sports Illustrator, the Arena Group C-suite, and we do, we do have some forthcoming reporting coming out about mm-hmm. this. Um, but yeah, it, it's an interesting question, and it's a very, again, like I, I keep going back to the word strange and absurd. It's a very bizarre thing to do on a, especially a website like Sports Illustrated. You yeah. know, we've been. In our coverage of synthetic content online, there's a lot of AI spam. There's a lot of synthetic spam and a lot of, like, fully synthetic websites being spun up. But this isn't that. This is Sports Illustrated. Mm. <laughs> this is one of the most storied American literary bodies, you know, in our nation's history. Yeah. Um, so I, the intent to me, I can't really see a reason for using these names and these profiles for any reason mm. other to, than to conceal 
the nature of the content. Okay, well, you know what they say, follow the money. So we're talking today with Maggie Harrison. She uncovered the fact that Sports Illustrated was using fake profiles, fake people generated by AI to write some articles there. So we're talking about the creeping AI in journalism, and we'll be back. This is On Point. Support for the On Point podcast comes from Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com onpoint. That's Indeed.com onpoint. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Support for On Point comes from BetterHelp. If you had an extra hour in the day, how would you use it? BetterHelp Online Therapy can help you figure out what's most important to you so you can prioritize it. Learn to make time for what makes you happy. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. And switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Visit BetterHelp.com OnPoint today to get 10% off your first month. You're back with On Point. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty. Today we're talking about Sports Illustrated and its use of AI-generated writers. And it's a terrific example of the danger of AI creep in journalism at large. And we're talking today with Maggie Harrison. She broke this story. She's a writer for Futurism. And uh, Maggie, we should say that there have been there has been some significant fallout uh, to what you have revealed. I I just want to note for listeners, though, that we first reached out to the Arena Group, which owns and publishes Sports Illustrated. We reached out to Advon Commerce. That's the third-party contractor that created the AI uh, profiles and articles. And that's the group that the Arena Group says was responsible for the content. We did not receive a response from anybody. But that doesn't mean that things haven't been happening. I mean, just, was it just yesterday, Matt? Sports Illustrated uh, fired its uh, its CEO, um, that who is uh, Ross Levinson. Have you, other than that action, have you seen any other acknowledge, former acknowledge, formal, excuse me, acknowledgement by the Arena Group of what has taken place? We have not. We've reached out to the Arena Group multiple times. I mean, we did throughout the course of our uh, first investigation, and we did not receive a formal response ourselves. They did publish. Um, they published a rebuttal saying that again, you know, these weren't. There's no AI, or that we've done an initial investigation, and our our contractor has said that they didn't do anything wrong. That these are just pen names, which we don't condone, and that there was no use of AI. We, we've yet to see, you know, what that investigation really entailed other than asking the contractor if, if they'd use AI and the contractor was saying yes or no. I, we're still quite hazy on what that investigation really, yeah, ex- what it entailed. Mm. Um, but no, there's been no formal acknowledgement. It was just they had deleted everything. Um, again, no editorial updates. And yeah. other than you know the firing of the CEO and a few other executives, mm-hmm. we have not really seen anything since then. Mm, interesting. Um, and soon after firing Levinson yesterday, uh, he was replaced by interim chief executive Manoj Bhargava, who I didn't know this until yesterday. It was the fi- founder of Five Hour Energy, that that uh, dr- that drink, and he also actually happens to own a majority stake in the Arena Group. So the story keeps 
the real-life human story keeps grinding on here. Maggie, hang on for just a second because I want to bring Richard Deitch into the conversation. He's a media reporter for The Athletic. Before that, he worked for Sports Illustrated for 20 years, and he's also host of the Sports Media with Richard Deitch podcast and editor of this year's Best Sports Writing of 2023 anthology. Richard, welcome to On Point. Nice to be here. Okay, so first of all, I'm going to want to hear a lot about what it was like to work at SI back in its glory days. But when you first heard about uh, its use of or what Red Maggie's reporting about the AI writers, writers, what was your initial reaction? My initial reaction was just how incredibly damaging it is to the journalists who are still working there under, you know, really very, very tough conditions. Mm. And at a place that has just experienced, you know, job cut after job cut. Uh, people there have experienced um, multiple sales now of uh, Sports Illustrated. And so my first thought was just um, just how bad I feel for what remains a lot of talented writers at that place that they have to work in an ecosystem where, you know, they wonder like, how much can we trust our own management? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, we're going to come back to what it means for sports journalism today in a second. But Richard, you have this particularly important history with SI. I think you were hired first back in 1997? It's 1937. Yes, it's, it's been a while. But <laughs> okay. yeah, in the late 90s, that's true. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, we're both dated here. I'll be perfectly honest with, that, <laughs> with you about that. So back then, what... Did it mean to have SI give you the nod and say, yeah, come right for us? I mean, it was incredible. Um, that was my, I had grown up um, as a Sports Illustrated subscriber. Um, my first uh, issue, I remember my mom bought me when I was seven. And that was essentially my dream to work at. When I got there and I got there really under very, very lucky circumstances, um, you know, the late 90s still, um, the, the journalism, journalists were still being hired. Young reporters were still being hired, and it was incredible. You you felt like you were, um, you know, you felt like I hate to use a sports cliche, but you like felt you were part of like the nineteen twenty seven Yankees or the nineteen ninety six Bulls. And mm. you know, by no means was I ever any kind of star at Sports Illustrated, but I was so fortunate to work at um, at a place with these literary giants who I had read growing up, and then I got a chance to occasionally work with them and see them in the halls and literary it, it giants really, like who i would literary giants like gary smith and william knack tim Layden, scott price i once fact checked frank deford which was a which was a pretty just an a, kind of an amazing experience just given his um you know his his reputation and the one thing even when i got there and i would say i got there probably you know really a, a touch after um I don't want to call it the glory days, but like a touch after where really like money was no object and Mm -hmm. they were, you know, just financially so sound. Um, The one thing about working there in the, even the early 2000s was um, the accumulate, like every story um, was just like, um, there was an investment in every story. People really cared about the journalism of every story. There were multiple levels of edits. Um, You know, every story had a, was assigned a fact checker and you just, couldn't help even through osmosis just understand how much care that um 
that that place really took for every word and every fact. Yeah. And then, of course, like, you know, many media businesses, you know, things changed. Time Inc. was very, very slow mm -hmm. to adopt to the web. Time Warner, the parent company, at a certain point, really kind of abandoned Time Inc. because they realized that that wasn't a great revenue stream for them. And so, um, you know, by the time that I left in 2018, Sports Illustrated had been already sold to Meredith, uh, another big publication, another big, uh, you know, company uh, that did publication in the middle of uh, the United States in Iowa. And you kind of knew that its future was not really so sound because um, because it had really been abandoned by um, by a couple of, of sort of businesses prior. And yeah. so it's. Um, Again, my my thought is just with the people there because I can. There, even in this day, mm -hmm. there is still there's still so much journalistic talent there, but but they're fighting such they're fighting such headwinds. Oh the yeah, moment. they must be definitely they're they're fighting it now. They must be definitely looking towards their future and wondering if you know this was kind of a trial balloon, uh, about how many humans can be replaced at SI by ma a machine. But um, I want to go back to something for just to get a deeper sense for people who weren't regular readers of Sports Illustrated. I mean, first of all, when you listed all those mergers, Richard, <laughs> I was feeling uh, a bit crotchety myself because I remember <laughs> them all. But but there was something, and those legends that you mentioned, there was something about, um, you, you talked about the journalism and then the editorial process, but the, the particular like human verve and creativity and insight that was brought to sports in Sports Illustrated that made people who maybe if they didn't really have much particular interest in any any one athletic endeavor, but they would pick up the magazine, start an article and not be able to put it down. What was that SI thing? Well, I think the thing was that they were they, they were willing to be experimental. They were willing to be literary. They were willing to cover some things that normally were not covered in the traditional newspaper sports page. But the reality is they had resources for it. I mean, that's really at the end of the day, there was just an investment. And if somebody want, if somebody had a great idea to do a um, long form 20,000 page feature on, um, on, let's say, a diver who wanted to set the record for the deepest dive in, you know, in, in current history. Um, that might get greenlit in mm -hmm. terms of like somebody being able to, you know, fly to whatever exotic place where such a, such a thing would happen. And, um, and then a story would be produced from them. The other thing too, is it just, the, the be the magazine like meant so much to so many people that it really did open doors. Yeah. Um, it always blew me away that um, when I worked for a very small paper in, in Buffalo, um, I would call somebody and, you know, maybe I get my call called back or, or, or maybe I wouldn't. But if I ever left a message saying, you know, who I was from Sports Illustrated, that call was almost always returned. And it just sort of was, it was a recognition of just like how important that brand was for people in America. Like it meant something. And then obviously, of course, the cover really, really meant something to people for such a long period mm -hmm. of time. You were on the cover of Sports Illustrated you know, you were stamped as as something. You know, yeah. kids can think of it as 
you know, think of it as Taylor Swift writing a song about you. That's what it was like. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, there, there's a there's a metaphor that will uh, that'll land very powerfully with a lot of people today. Richard, hang on here for a second because Maggie, I want to ask you a, a quick question about this because you mentioned this in your in your first article that broke the the AI writers. Uh, story here. I mean, you say that uh, now that SI is under the management of the Arena Group, parts of the magazine seem to have devolved into a Potemkin village in which phony writers are cooked up out of thin air. I mean, how how do you, do you have any insights or any opinions about how the the, uh, sort of domino effect of ownership that SI has been through over the past many years, if that plays into this at all? Yeah, I, I do think that the I think it's I, I agree that it, it's really sad what's been happening at Sports Illustrated for quite a while now. And um, I do want to really hold solidarity with the writers who came up very strongly against the arena group. And, you know, that that's not the, it's not journalism and it's certainly not any kind of journalism that they stand for. Um, but, yeah, I, I do think that the name Sports Illustrated has kind of been turned into a shell <laughs> in a sense for um you know, this kind of, you know, commerce affiliate, like, yeah, like we wrote mm. uh, Potemkin Village. Um, but yeah, I, I do think that um, this is very much a symptom of a larger problem. And I think that we've seen a lot of, uh, almost every AI effort that we've seen in the past year has been coupled with layoffs. And I don't think that that's uh-huh. a, a touch point to ignore. I think that a lot of publications are turning towards AI as a, bandit for, a band-aid for a bullet wound, really, uh, for larger issues, and think that maybe they can eke out some eke out some extra content, maybe get some extra eyeballs, maybe sell a few products, maybe get some extra clicks. Um, but it's especially you know in a case like this where it's so egregious the the way that it's being done. Um, and how really obvious, I think obviously bad for consumers and it lacks value for consumers. I think that it's come at a much greater cost mm. to the names of publications. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty. This is On Point. Now, um, we're going to get back to SI in, in particular, or specifically in just a minute here. But Maggie, you had mentioned the street earlier. And I want to just talk a little bit more about that because uh, both as you and Richard are pointing out, right, like there's there is a superseding group here that's making these decisions. And that is the arena group, which um, bought, I mean, uh, owns SI and also in 2019 bought The Street, which is a financial publication. But I actually happen to read it. Now I'm going to have to just scrutinize it a lot, a lot more here. We did not receive any kind of response from the arena group. But what did you find Maggie, that they're doing at The Street? The Street is interesting because they were doing a few different... So they were doing the same kind of affiliate content as we were saying over at Sports Illustrated, where instead of sports goods, it was office supplies and cleaning stuff and a lot of various consumer goods for a lot of different consumer categories. But another thing that they were posting were blog posts, which were, they were they were linked back to affiliate posts. So the ultimate goal was like clearly to get some links back to some, you know, commerce, consumer goods, and get some clicks on every and eyeballs on every single page. Um, so they're still geared towards selling products in some way, but they, they were really strange. There was one of the ones that we discussed in the, in the article was, um, it was a blog, it was a financial advice blog. And, you know, The Street is a financial publication, so it's not surprising that they were attempting mm-hmm. to publish financial advice. But it was very strange. It, it, it was um, a, a whole opening paragraph about how your uh, financial status translates directly to your worth in society. And then it went through a numbered list of ways to get your, or like, up your financial status. But every 
it was supposed to be like a one through five list, but every line was just number one, which I personally wouldn't take financial advice from somebody who cannot count to five. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so it was very, very similar in some ways, but they were taking it to a different level with the blog posts. Yeah. Okay, Richard, when did you actually leave Sports Illustrated? I left in uh, 2018. 2018. So that's the year that it became a biweekly publication. Is that right? Yeah. The You know, and... Um, there were changes, significant changes sort of near the um, end of my run when it came to the magazine. Um, you know, circulation obviously had declined. The reading market was very, very different. I mean, the just the realities of the day are that um, people don't buy weekly magazines the way they used to in the, you know, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s. So you can, you know, you, you could sort of see what was going to happen in terms of the the weekly frequency. Um, and, um, but I, you know, it's, I, I will say I, I, and maybe this is a little bit, um, romantic there, there, there are those of us who always wonder what, what would have happened had, um, had either time Inc or the Meredith corporation found a better steward mm -hmm. for sports illustrated, because one thing that's always true in American life is that, um, you know, brands, well-known brands do matter if you sort of protect them and, um, you know, harness them and futurize them. And that was the one thing about Sports Illustrated is that, you know, even in 2018, 2019, you know, like not so far long ago, like the brand still like mattered to a lot of people and it still stood for something. Um, but to sort of get back to your point, yeah, by the time I left, it, it did seem rather clear that the the days of it being a, like a fifty two week a year publication were were not going to last. Mm -hmm. mm. Well, I just want to read for a second the uh, how the Arena Group describes itself, and once again, just want to remind folks they did not respond to our request for a comment or an interview, but they say on their website about us, the Arena Group combines powerful brands in areas consumers are passionate about and delivers compelling experiences. Our team of award-winning journalists, storytellers, content creators, and entrepreneurial producers deliver exciting and dynamic destinations in sports, finance, lifestyle, and more. Our advanced technical solutions provide opportunities for growth for our partners, targeted solutions for, for marketer, marketers, let me read that again, targeted solutions for marketers, and cutting-edge experiences for consumers. Uh, I notice in there that journalism is exactly one word in the first paragraph. So when we come back, we're going to talk more about journalism more broadly and what this Sports Illustrated story tells us about, I'm calling it AI creep into journalism, and what has to change right now to maintain your trust in what you hear, what you see, and what you read all cross media. So we'll be back. This is On Point. Did you kill Marlene Johnson? I think you're one of the first people to have actually asked. From WBUR and ZSP Media, this is Beyond All Repair a new podcast about an unsolved murder that will leave you questioning everything. Somebody should be in jail for murdering my sister. A woman who's never been believed. As long as they think I have done this, then they're not looking for who actually did this. 
And that's what makes it a cold case. No, it's a botched case. And a search for the truth, once and for all. Wow, it just gets more interesting. Beyond All Repair. Listen and follow wherever you get your podcasts. Be careful. You're digging in a place that's been very peaceful for a while. Do it anyway. Dig. The world's clean energy future relies on ancient elements still in the ground. Without mining, there will not be a clean energy transition. But pulling them out of the ground comes at an environmental and human cost. Mining is intrusive, but the results are the building blocks for products that we use every single day. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty. Join me for Elements of Energy, Mining for a Green Future. Five consecutive episodes right here. So make sure you're following this podcast. You're back with On Point. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty. And On Point Swifties rejoice because today is a historic day on this show. We're not just mentioning Taylor Swift once. We're mentioning her twice. Richard Deitch earlier talked about how uh, back in the heyday, in Sports Illustrated's heyday, if you got mentioned in SI, it was like being mentioned by Taylor Swift. Well, here's our second, our second mention of Taylor Swift because Taylor Swift and Beyonce, I would say, happen to be the biggest non-governmental economic stimulus packages anywhere in the world right now. Because wherever Taylor Swift and Beyonce have had concerts recently, the local economy there has boomed. So on Friday, we're going to talk about the economic impact of those two women and their massive Tours. So did you go to the Renaissance Tour? Did you manage to snag a ticket for the Eras Tour? How much money did you spend, even when you went to the movies, uh, about these concerts? Did you buy merch? If you're a business owner in a city where Beyonce or Taylor Swift stopped by, did it have an impact on your business? We want to hear everything about it. You can send us a message at the On Point Vox Pop app. Again, it's an app, so if you don't already have it, just look for On Point Vox Pop wherever you get your apps. Or give us a call at 617-353-0683. That's 617-353-0683. That's for Friday. We're going to talk all things Taylor and Beyonce. Today we're talking about the creep of AI-generated content and even articles in journalism today. We're focusing on the story of what recently happened at Sports Illustrated. That story was broken by Maggie Harrison. She's a writer for Futurism, and her article that broke the story is called Sports Illustrated Published Articles by Fake AI-Generated Writers. And Richard Deitch also joins us. He's currently a media reporter for The Athletic. He previously worked at uh, Sports Illustrated for 20 years. Um, Richard, I wanted to ask you, since you're at The Athletic right now, which is within The New York Times, we should say, uh, in recent, just recently, The New York Times basically made The Athletic its entire sports department. What's the difference or how does, how does The Athletic run now um, and does it does it feel to you like its editorial firewalls, let's put it that way, protects from the kind of thing that happened at SI? Uh, well, <laughs> it's funny. That's probably a question well above my pay grade, but I, <laughs> you know, I hope so. Um, you know, the athletic, um, the athletic really, really treats journalism at a at a significantly high level. Um, I think the product 
speaks for itself. Uh, I hope the staff speaks for itself. It's one of the largest sports uh, journalism staffs in the world, if not the largest. And so, um, you know, I can only speak as sort of a writer on the line. Mm -hmm. But yes, as as someone who's there, I I feel pretty confident that those guardrails exist. From from everything in my experience so far of working at The Athletic, um, it's very, very clear how much they care about journalism and how much they care about editorial. And yes, I, I I'd like to believe that those that those guardrails exist and that the, you know, I won't be attending uh, a staff meeting soon with, you know, AI bot Charlie. <laughs> yeah. And the, the when you left Sports Illustrated in 2018, we should also note that what it was just a year later that almost 40 percent of the staff was laid off at at SI. So as Maggie, as you said earlier, those two things. Uh, layoffs and, you know, sometimes AI are pretty closely uh, uh, associated with each other in some of these events that have been happening at Sports Illustrated. Although, again, the 2019 layoff was much prior to where uh, Drew Ortiz entered the scene. But let me ask you, Maggie, you had mentioned CNET earlier, right? So this incident... Um, or this use of AI writers at Sports Illustrated isn't new by any means. Can you tell us about a couple of the other examples that we should be aware of? Certainly. There have been several. Yeah, uh, CNET, you know, that broke in um, January, I believe it was, late January, early February. Um, They've been publishing, you know, AI-generated articles that were not—the disclaimer was very not easy, exactly easy to find <laughs> as a reader that would, you know, give somebody the proper—this yeah, was generated by AI or AI was used to write this article, as I would personally hope to see from anybody who does try to experiment with AI. Um I think that's a very basic consumer rights question. Um, but yeah, there have been so. And again, at CNET, there were there were CNET or there were layoffs a little bit later on at Red Ventures, CNET, and a few other publications under the umbrella of the owner, Red Ventures. Um, there was another BuzzFeed is another example of a company that has made a lot of very big claims about AI and turning everything into. AI generated gamified content, and it all sounds very. It all sounds very uh, Coco Melanie for grownups to me. <laughs> a lot of just moving stuff everywhere, flashing lights, very high emphasis on entertainment. Um, and BuzzFeed has also been a company that's been very much struggling, laid off, or it's completely ended their BuzzFeed news division, which is very sad in my opinion. It was a great news staff, and they won awards. They broke a lot of really important stories. Um, and those are the two, I think, to me, the two very striking examples of AI use in media that's been, you know, coupled with some very serious you know, the BuzzFeed loss of BuzzFeed News, I think that was a very big deal. Okay. I should note that uh, in the, this summer, following the revelations of AI-generated articles on CNET, uh, they introduced a new policy that promises that no stories will be entirely produced by an AI tool. So at least you know some change there. But going back to the Arena Group, I just want to note all the publications that uh, they own or oversee. Obviously, Sports Illustrated, we've talked about The Street Parade Magazine, which at one time went to almost every home in the United States back in the day, Men's Journal. So it's got a lot of very um, well-known brand names uh, underneath its umbrella, which is why this isn't exclusively a story about SI, right? It's it's about journalism more broadly. And that's why we talked uh, to 
um, excuse me, I've got to find the right page. There we go. You see, I'm still human. (laughs) I can't find the information immediately. But we talked to Lynn Walsh. She's the assistant director at Trusting News and a former ethics chair and national president for the Society of Professional Journalists. The issue is that trust in news is already low. People tend to have a distrust or question new technology anyways. When you combine those two, what we're looking at is potential for even more people to lose that trust. Lynn says that as AI continues to develop rapidly, journalism organizations must be thoughtful about how they disclose the use of AI. She says outlets should not only alert the public that it's using AI, but also be specific about how they're using it. Just saying something like, this company, this AI company generated this, I don't know that people understand what that means or understand that that means that maybe a journalist didn't touch the content, wasn't involved, a real person wasn't. And so we need to get very specific about what we're saying if we are using AI. So in the about category, how about answering these questions? Was AI used to write a headline? Was AI used to analyze data or do any of the research? Was there a human involved in the process? If so, when and how? And that's because on the flip side, newsrooms can use AI for purposes that frees up reporters to spend more time doing meaningful work. And in the spirit of full disclosure, in fact, at On Point, we do use AI tools in one place that significantly enhances our productivity. It's the only place we use AI tools, and that is to help transcribe our interviews. So On Point producers use the AI-generated transcripts for notes, but a human carefully edits and corrects the transcripts that appear on our website, which is onpointradio.org, by the way. Now, Lynn Walsh believes there's potential for AI to be a helpful tool for journalists, as as mentioned. But in order to rebuild the public's trust in media and for the future appropriate use of this technology, newsrooms are going to have to be very careful about how they approach this now. So now, unfortunately, if people are aware of that Sports Illustrated example, When the use of AI comes up, potentially they're going to point to that as, no, this is how all media does it, right? But as an industry, we can look at this as a learning opportunity. Hopefully, if you are a newsroom, you can differentiate your use of AI and say, that's not how we're going to do it. So you might have seen what Sports Illustrated did. We are not doing it that way. Instead, here's how we are approaching it and kind of get on the record with that. If newsrooms don't get on the record about their use of it, that's only going to lead to more problems and kind of complicate that issue of building trust in news, but also just in the use of this technology even harder. That's Lynn Walsh. She's assistant director at Trusting News. So, Richard, let me go back to you here. Do you use any kind of even low-grade AI tool now, or can you see how um, artificial intelligence could, in fact, enhance your reporting? Um, I do not use any um, AI tools, although I will say that um, what I report on and what I write about, um, you're going to see a lot of AI. You know, when I talk to people at ESPN or Fox Sports or CBS Sports, they're using that technology to help with their um, sports live programming. Um, AI can be an incredible tool just in terms of producing um, a better broadcast, uh, more advanced stats, uh, faster processes, 
So a, there's a massive AI revolution in sports. It's not necessarily new, but that exists. The one thing that does strike me, though, from listening um, to everything um, I've just heard, including obviously the, the, the great reporting from Futurism, is um, I worry about sports coverage in small places that don't have like the massive resources mm -hmm. of the athletic. Mm -hmm. And we saw this a little bit, I think, with Gannett in that, um, you know, if you have a choice between paying a reporter fifty, sixty thousand $60,000 a year in a, you know, small mid-sized town to cover high school sports versus this kind of technology, which clearly will not produce any kind of journalism or perhaps even any kind of readability stuff. But if, if it becomes just such a um, cost-efficient use of whatever management or ownership's time is, you really could start to see a lot of that kind of coverage, you know, small towns, rural towns, where local high school sports is essentially just AI generated. Yeah. And that's a scary thing. Um, not necessarily that, um, you know, that the, um, that the AI won't maybe get good enough so that like, you know, the names are correct and like the scoring is correct. But think about like what it takes away from that town. You know, you really lose a human being who's then able to go out and tell the stories of that town, you know, and what you'll get in return is sort of just, you know, a century, uh, essentially computer generated agate. Yeah. Well, you know, um, I've wanted to remind folks that I'm Meghna Chakrabarty and this is On Point. Maggie, considering what Richard just said about um, not just is the richness and the storytelling missing when we turn to AI, because like you said, it was extremely poorly written. But thinking back to what Lynn Walsh told us, the accountability factor is missing, right? You wrote about this in your article. Absolutely. Accountability is incredibly important. And I actually think Gannett is a very good example of this, where, you know, they're publishing, they're using this AI service called Lead AI, I believe it was, to generate these very, like, three-line, maybe, you know, six-sentence uh, roundups of local high school, high school sports games. You know, this person played this person, and they won by this amount. And Gannett had said made a very big, bold statement about how they're going to use AI, but they're going to be super responsible about it, and this is the way that they're going to do it. And it was very clearly, it was published by Lead AI. It was a very clearly denoted as AI-generated. But there was also clearly very little human oversight, mm -hmm. which was, it's a different, you know, concerning element to, you know, the concept of using AI in newsrooms and what that means for people who are reading it. There are a lot of incomplete sentences. HTML text was popping up. And if an if a human editor had seen that, they obviously would have gotten rid of it. Can I add one and thing so, there? Because in, yes, in, in your article, I mean, so there's the sort of grammatical and writing-based um, errors and critiques. But you make a much more important point also in your article because I'd mentioned Men's Journal as one of the brands underneath the Arena Group's umbrella. And you found that they started publishing AI-generated content, too, in health advice stories, and some of that advice was wrong? Yes, there were uh, a men's health article that was AI-generated was uh, riddled with medical inaccuracies that were also very nuanced inaccuracies that wouldn't be particularly easy for a consumer to catch. Um, and again, it's men's, it's a men's health or men's journal. It's not a synthetic spam website that's turning out content that you 
definitely <laughs> shouldn't be reading and probably know you shouldn't be reading in most cases. You know, uh, it's being normalized within these bigger publishers that have a lot of name brand juice behind them. Yeah, and frankly, um, I mean, publications like Men's Journal, as much as we'd love to, you know, support nonprofit news organizations like ourselves or let's say in the health world, Stat, that's producing like top level uh, health journalism, Men's Journal argu- arguably reaches more people. So, I mean, this is not an insignificant problem. No, and I do think, and it is a little bit, I just think there should be, a consumer should be able to make a choice where I think part of, you know, very carefully denoting, I, I think is a very basic first step to carefully denote AI was used, where AI was used, where humans were involved, where they weren't involved. I, I think that's basic. It's like having a nutritional label on the side of a carton of something in the grocery store. Like, I can read that as a consumer and I can make a choice of whether I want to buy it or not, or whether I want to read it or not. And I think that newsrooms who aren't giving their readers that basic due diligence and that basic accountability, I think that they should really ask themselves why that is. Mm. Well, as you point out uh, in your story that when folks get caught using this AI-generated content, it frequently does backfire. So there's that. But with that, I'm going to wrap up with one correction. And I'm a human making a correction uh, for myself. I had originally mentioned uh, that uh, Ross Levinson I called him the CEO of AI, of, of, sorry, of Sports Illustrated. That is wrong. He was, until yesterday, the CEO of the Arena Group as a whole. And that's the job that he lost uh, as of yesterday. So with that in mind, Maggie Harrison, writer for Futurism and author of the article Sports Illustrated, published articles by fake AI-generated writers. Maggie, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. And Richard Deitch, media reporter for The Athletic, host of the Sports Media with Richard Deitch podcast and editor of the year's best sports sports writing 2023. Richard, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. And thank you for your reporting, Maggie. I'm Magna Chakrabarty. This is On Point.